Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode one twenty three. What's up? What's good? Not much. Living the dream. Yeah, we got some smog outside. Yeah, I don't know if all our Canadian listeners. I don't know what the hell is going on in your country right now. Yeah, you put those wildfires out. Yeah, Jesus. they're coming coming down here, affecting our air quality. Yeah, <laughs> I got a sore throat today. God, thanks. It's actually pretty wild out. Like I. I don't. I actually don't have any idea what's going on in Canada as far as the wildfires are concerned. Yeah, me either. But um, the air is literally fucking. It's bullshit out right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's terrible. But uh, yeah, we're uh, we're a little late on this one, um, <coughs> but we're 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 catching up. Yeah. So we're having today and tomorrow. I had to go see my boy Stepe. Yeah. Yeah. We can't fault you for that. <laughs> I'm joining. Yeah, you joined the UFC. Oh God! <laughs> <coughs> good, good luck, good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so we're we're a couple days late. I had to go do a lesson with with Stepe. So I, I we posted about it. So we we got to work with Stepe Miocic's dog recently, the UFC heavyweight champ from Cleveland, which was a pretty sweet experience. You know, it's one of those things I, I've been I've been doing this for a while. Obviously, you know, coming up on God like ten years or so. And, um, you know, we've gotten to work with some really cool people along the way, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, where we're located in Cleveland, we've got a lot of professional sports teams, and I've worked with a lot of the athletes and stuff like that, and, you know, some other, like, high-profile individuals and stuff like that. And, you know, every now and then, like, you get a client that's just, like, is pretty cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> that was, was kind of one of them. I was like, yeah, I was like, damn. I was like, you know, I'm a big UFC fan. Obviously, I've I've you know been watching a lot of Stipe's fights over the course of his career. He's from Cleveland. I remember when he won the heavyweight belt initially. Mm-hmm. It was like such a big deal because it was like the first official Cleveland championship of any way shape or form yeah you know yep. it's kind of weird because it was like not like a major sport, obviously, but it's still a major sport, obviously. Um, so, so that was a pretty cool one to work with him and his family yeah. and, and the dog is crushing it. We did uh, a board and trained with Mr. Atos. He's got a German shepherd named Atos posted a lot of videos and stuff of him. Just a young German shepherd. He was like seven or eight months old and, um, they had done a pretty good job of training him already up until that point. They had like a guy that was kind of coming to the house, helping with some basics and stuff, yeah. but they were struggling with like taking him off site. like some fear issues and leash reactivity and things like that. Just normal young German shepherd things. And they didn't really have much of a way of socializing him. So that was the primary reason they chose to do the board and train with him was to get him exposed to a lot of different types of dogs and, uh, you know, help kind of build his overall you know, confidence and, and just help make sure he was growing and developing like at the right rate, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So, so we took him in, um, you know, stayed at the facility for a while. I actually brought him home and he kind of stayed with me for a little bit, uh, and, and was able to hang out with my dogs and kind of just like learn how to, you know, it's an interesting concept kind of segueing this into, you know, some of today's topics and stuff mm-hmm. like that is he just needed to learn how to kind of be a dog. Yeah. You know, I think yeah, sometimes sure. with young dogs, we get really hung up on the training side of things, right? We get really hung up on the obedience commands, the sit stays, the down stays, the calm, the, you know, she was teaching all sorts of cool tricks and stuff. She, like I said, they did a very good job with them. She was teaching like middle and like his foos and like, you know, all oh, sorts okay. of fancy commands oh, and stuff, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's just not what he needed. Mm-hmm. Like he needed to have good obedience, right? But, but he needed to learn how to be a fucking dog, man. Like he was just, you know, and, and we see this a lot with, 
you know, people that have, whether it's large properties or they live like outside of the city or, you know, we work with higher profile individuals that just have like big houses that like constantly just kind of have people in and out. So they're never Mm -hmm. needing to leave for much. It's just the dog has a hard time getting exposed to anything else except their house, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, because of that, he just didn't know he was, he was very confident at home and he was very Mm -hmm. stable. And, you know, one of the things I remember when I went and did his assessment initially is, you know, he didn't even make a peep at when I came through the front door or anything like that. Like he had a great temperament, Mm -hmm. but you take him outside of that environment and he just like melted, right? He didn't know how to Mm -hmm. handle himself. He didn't know what anything else was, right? Yeah. Which is why I chose to just kind of like, I didn't even do that much obedience training with him, right? Like I proofed his downstay, I proofed his leash walking and his off leash recall and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I just took him everywhere with me. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to fucking Home Depot. You're going to Home Depot. We're going to the park. You're going to the park. We're going to help out with this lesson. You're going to go help out with this lesson. Oh, I need to go do a one-on-one with one of our trainers and a board and train that's in. Well, we're going to bring him also, you know, and he just got used to just seeing so much, Mm -hmm. right? And um, it was really cool. Like, he really flourished into, like, a new dog. It's funny. I took him home, and and that was the big thing I had with him because they they sent him, like, really with this expectation. I remember Ryan, Stipe's wife, was like, you know, he's, he's really sensitive, you know, he's, he's a really sensitive dog, you know, I don't know how he's going to do with the training, because he's really sensitive, and this and that, and I sent him home, I was like, this dog is not, this is not as sensitive of a dog as you think he is, Yeah. you know, like, mm-hmm. he is not as much of a weenie as you think he is, right, like, once he got exposed and comfortable in these new environments, he was actually, like, he was a pretty confident dog, you know, and it's cool mm-hmm. to see, so, so, you know, keep that in mind with your dogs, it's like, we get hung up on the training side of things so much sometimes, but let's look at, like, all of the different things <clears throat> that we try to use training to stop, right, so your leash reactivity, right, your um, uh, uh, issues with guests coming over the house, um, whatever, any type of socialization-related issues, right, or fear-based issues, mm-hmm. right, and, you know, instead of getting so hung up on the control side of things around those triggers, let's focus on just the exposure side of things to those triggers, right? Like, yeah. you know, we, we've talked a lot before in the past about Vinny, right? And, you know, some of his issues with people he had when he was younger. You know, when I first got him, I remember he was, I think he was like four and a half months old when I got him. He was shipped in from California and I had to go pick him up from the airport he was like shipped in cargo and stuff. And I remember they're rolling the crate out to me and he's hiding in the back of the crate, like growling at me and stuff. And I took him, took him to the facilities, all like slinking around, all nervous and shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, he's very sketchy with new people and stuff like that initially. And yes, we focused on a lot of training to get him past those things. But I think a part of the reason why he got so comfortable with um, with all of those types of things over time. And I joke that he's like out of all of my dogs, if I had to pick a dog to take like anywhere with me, who would be like the most rock solid with things, I would say it would be him is because when I got him, he went everywhere with me. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not just going everywhere with you. It's not just a matter of like, let's take our dog to fucking all these different places and have people pet them and have the meat dogs and stuff like that. I took him everywhere with me and I just, I just, I turned everything into the environment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, you know, what do I mean by that? I turn everything into the environment. What I mean by that is all those things that your dog would generally be scared of, mm-hmm. right? 
they don't just get scared of those things for no reason. Yeah, some yeah. dogs will have initial irrational fears over things, mm-hmm. but when they start developing the reactivity or the aggression and stuff like that, that's a compounded effect from getting exposed to those things they may have an irrational fear of, and those things they have an irrational fear of confirming the fear in their head, right? So mm-hmm. like if that would be an example of that would be, I go to Home Depot and my dog's scared of new people and he walks by for the very first time ever a new person. He's like, oh, I don't know what to do with this thing. And that person comes out and tries to touch him, yeah. right? You're going for a walk down the street and your dog sees another dog. He's like, oh, I'm a little scared of that thing. Mm-hmm. And then the dog comes bolting over to him and jumps on him or something like that, yeah. right? That's where things get problematic. But I took him everywhere. And I made sure I controlled the environment enough where he got exposed to those things and those things never directly impacted him or never directly interacted with him. So it just became completely and utterly neutral. Yeah. Right? From there, I focused on the socialization side of things, Mm. which is teaching him to interact with dogs, teaching him to interact with people, stuff like that. And that's the same philosophy I adopted with Atos when I was working with him. Mm. Right? My initial thing I wanted to do was get him exposed to stuff while simultaneously socializing him with those triggers elsewhere, right? So I did a combination of go to public places with no interaction with things. So you get used to seeing people, seeing dogs, stuff like that, and them never messing with you until you just got comfortable being in that environment because your fears were never reassured, right? Mm -hmm. And then I focused on in separate areas, socializing, setting up play dates with him, getting him meeting new people, stuff like that, and doing that in a controlled, productive manner, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, interesting kind of overall topic yeah. is just teaching dogs to be dogs through exposure and socialization, mm-hmm. right? And that's, like I said, going to be kind of the overall topic of what we talk about. Yeah, and a, a, a quick question on that. Uh, what's her name? Stipe's wife. Ryan. Ryan. So, how do you feel, like like a person like that that uh, has worked you know, she kind of trained the dog in certain aspects, you know, so she kind of had her own way of doing things. Do you find that helpful or, or kind of problematic when you're, when you take a dog and you're teaching it and then when you like maybe send home, do you find like, uh, you know, like resistance because she was doing mm-hmm. things certain ways or is it actually helpful because she kind of knew um, her way around the dog? Both. Okay. Depends on the situation, yeah. right? So in her case, it was extremely helpful because she was trying and doing all of these things, not with the mentality of I know everything, mm. but I'm trying to provide for this dog, yeah. right? And improve his skills and you know make him better with these types of things. But she realized the limitations of the things that she was trying, yeah, right? But because she was very active with him and she kind of understood how stuff worked, mm. once I gave her the new instructions of how to do them, because she already understood understood how to work with him mm-hmm. she worked with him in a very clear and concise way over yeah. the course of me teaching her these new skills yeah right so that was definitely a beneficial side of things um i will say that if you're going into situations where you're working with clients who have done other training before mm-hmm. right or have worked with the dog extensively and maybe actually done relatively good work that's unrelated to the the problem that they're having. Mm -hmm. It takes a very good trainer to be able to educate that person on not, you have to be very careful not to like insult them and make it seem like you screwed everything up or those (laughs) things are 
stupid that you worked on or Mm -hmm. this or that. You've got to educate them on just how those things are unrelated. So in her case, like I said, like she did a lot of training with him and she even gave me when I picked up the dog for the board and train this list of commands, right? She's like, Mm -hmm. he knows this and this is his walking command and this is this and this is that and this is the, and this is that, right? And we basically took that list and like threw it out the window, right? (laughs) Like not that again, any of those things were bad by any means, but like we had a different way that we were going to structure out all of those things Mm -hmm. that was going to be more simple and more directly correlated to her problem. And that was one of the biggest things in the send home lesson right off the rip is I explained to her, like when we got into the leash walking, right? She's like, oh, so you guys don't use foos anymore for that because that's what she was kind of using for her heel. And I had to do a good job of explaining the foos is not wrong. The foos mm-hmm. is not bad, yeah. right? You could still work on those types of things with him. But those are like a, those are like a separate thing from, mm-hmm. from how we're handling it right now. And then on top of that, I had to elaborate and explain on and get her to understand why this way of doing things is just a little bit more conducive to the results that she's looking for, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So a little bit of both. I will say that sometimes it could shoot you in the foot. Like that phone call I did. So I did a phone call right before uh, we got on this podcast, right, with a lady who was calling in regards to training for her mother's dog. Right? Mm-hmm. Her mother has a five-year-old working line, Czech imported German Shepherd, whatever. Mm-hmm. Her mother is also like 80, she said like 82 or 84 or something like that, right? So she's a little older, right? And she said that her mom for 30 years was a Schutzen trainer, right? So Schutzen is obviously a a old German protection sport that now is kind of IGP, but whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So, so... Which is great, right? Like, listen, I've I've all respect in the world for people that have done stuff like that, you know, for a while, Mm -hmm. right? But the problem is... They're having a lot of problems with this dog, obviously, mm-hmm. right? This 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 dog is clearly a little bit outside of their pay grade as far as their knowledge of things. And past that, I don't know anything about, you know, their physical health that they're in and stuff like that. But this yeah. dog is probably a hell of a lot stronger than some of their other dogs they've had. And tack onto that, they're probably a heck of a lot weaker than they used to be, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. not a bash on them by any means, no. but like that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. As you get older, that's a lot of dog to handle. It's a lot a of lot. dog to handle for somebody my, myself. Like a, like a young buck like myself, yeah. right? <clears throat> so so they're, they're having a lot of issues. And one of the big things that she had said was because her mom had trained Schutzen for so long mm-hmm. with dogs, she is pretty opposed to this idea of doing training, mm-hmm. right? Which we hear a lot, right? And we hear it on even a more minor scale, right? Where we'll get people that come in who have maybe owned nine dogs before in mm-hmm. their life, right? 50, 60-year-old person, something like that, right? And those nine dogs they've had their whole life, whether they were easy dogs or, or, or moderately difficult dogs and they did an okay job of managing and, and, and training those dogs on their own, mm-hmm. right, they have a hard time letting go of those ways because they don't view it as an educational issue on their end. Mm-hmm. They view it as a dog issue, right? Yeah. I know what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. this dog just isn't getting it. This dog is too stupid to get it or something mm-hmm. like that, Yeah, right? which we obviously know is not the case, right? A lot of times there's just some dogs that exceed the difficulty level of some of the dogs that you may have worked with on your own. Yep. Right? And and ironically, you know, it's funny how our topics kind of align a little bit. The staff just did a podcast the other day on on something very similar to that. I think they called it like, don't lose the, uh, the, 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 
the the student mentality ever. Mm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and even as trainers, we have to check ourselves on that sometimes because I think sometimes owners, after they've owned a couple easy dogs, will lose the student mentality. Yeah. Right? They have a hard time admitting that they don't know how to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. Right? They think that just there's something wrong with the dog. The dog is broken because it's not responding to the things that I've done with all of my other dogs. Right? Yeah. And that's such a weird shift that people have a hard time getting themselves out of sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, that's good, though. But um, <clears throat> did you still um, use some of the words that they were using prior in yeah, your training? Yeah, I mean, so they they wanted to do, like, German commands and stuff like that, which, mm. whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. We get people that come in that want to do different languages and stuff. So so we did that. And it's less about the words, right? Yeah. Words aren't so important, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the meaning of the words that are important. So yeah. what we did was some of those words that they taught us, we just shifted the meaning of them to be something a little bit different, mm-hmm. a little bit more clear to the dog, and a little bit more easily enforced. Yeah. But I think that's a great, um, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe compromise or caveat to, like, still implement kind of what they were doing mm-hmm. but you know so it's still easy for them because they were already using that kind of language yeah you know but you just kind of repurpose the words to help the dog better yeah you know mm-hmm. so i think that's a great way to like kind of you still integrate you know that list that she had you know yeah so it wasn't like oh we really just threw it out the window but we just kind of mm-hmm. like adhered it more to what the dog needed yeah Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah, I always I always wondered about that, and I thought that was a really good uh, good one because it's like obviously she has a lot of care for the dog, and sure. you know she was already kind of doing these things with him to try to help him out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's cool to see that you were able to like really work through that, and then kind of just come together and and find a good great middle ground for them to continue working with that dog. Yeah, and still still a little bit of work to do, obviously. We're oh, kind of yeah. going through their training side of things. The dog is doing very well. Like I said, I just saw him uh, again yesterday, Yeah, uh, and, and he's crushing it. I mean, they, they haven't really been having any issues with anything, but I still like to make sure that I get enough education into the owner, you know what I mean, yeah, so that they sure. can kind of follow through long-term with this kind of stuff. And like I said, they're both very committed, very yeah. motivated to work with the dog, so so it's looking really good. So, yeah. But yeah, you know, like I said, the, this idea of, of, of allowing your dog to kind of be a dog, mm-hmm. right, or teaching them how to be a dog, how we facilitate those types of things. We'll just kind of keep wrapping on a couple of other client situations we've had recently that are, mm. that are kind of good examples of that and, and how we're helping people to expand their dog's world a little bit. So there's mm. this dog. I did this in-home lesson yesterday. This will be on the vlog that Paige puts out either uh, today or tomorrow or something like that. Mm. This dog, Clark, right? So Clark did um, one-on-one lessons with us last year, right, with okay. Matt when Matt was with us and crushed it. I mean, like, he, he did really, really great, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's kind of like a big Doberman mix or something like that. Real strong, big dog, right? And owners are awesome. Like yeah. they bust their ass with this dog. They put in a lot of work and they really weren't having very many issues. Like mm-hmm. like they they reached out to me uh, maybe a month ago just to do a refresher, not because of any major issues or anything, but they wanted to kind of take things to the next level with him, mm-hmm. right? They said obedience is fantastic. He does really good with that. They said they want to figure out a way to more effectively be able to kind of socialize him with new people to help expand his world and like teach him to be a dog a little bit more mm-hmm. right and they were just mm-hmm. kind of uncomfortable on how to do that exactly yep. because of some of his history of like um you know reactivity a little bit of aggression stuff like that mm-hmm. right so we did a follow-up lesson with them and um you know we kind of got into everything everything looked pretty good you know but but they just wanted to know how to handle exactly having people come over so mm-hmm. we went over the house and we just kind of broke that process down for them and we were there for 
40 minutes yesterday, right? Wow. Not even very long, right? Yeah. Short and sweet, right? Okay. And I'll break down exactly how that session went, right? <laughs> so first thing first, I always talk about with introducing your dog to people, our first step is making sure that we keep the dog in a controlled state of mind away from all the action to get them out of this state of mind of of needing to like decide if the people are okay or not or put them in a vulnerable position where they're going to react to begin with. So we always do a bed stay for that. Now, the reason why I like the bed stay, right, is because one, it establishes controls people are coming in, right? Mm-hmm. So people come in, the dog is on that bed stay, right? The dog is able to see the people, smell the person, hear, uh, smell the people, hear the people like I always talk about, right? We're able to firmly correct for non-compliance of that to get the dog into an even more compliant state of mind if they're a little too distracted with stuff. And it gets them out of the position where most bad things happen, which is people are coming in, the dog's all amped up, he's running to the door, we're trying to hold the dog back, we're creating barriers, we're creating restraint, and then the dog can get, you know, because they're in this elevated state of mind, and they're suddenly meeting these new people and deciding if they're okay or not, it could turn into a problem there, Mm, right? mm -hmm. So we did that first. He held that bed stay. We probably had him hold that bed stay for 15, 20 minutes, something like that, right? Really? He broke it maybe one time, gave him a correction for it. And, and I always tell everybody, correct firm for that. So she gave him a correction for it. And he kind of cared about it. Mm. But he didn't really care that much about it, right? So I told her to jack that level up quite a bit more. She corrected one more time for him with it. He definitely cared about that correction. And you could see his entire state of mind shift when she did that. Mm. It went from, I'm on the bed. I really want to get off. I'm kind of concerned about those people over there to like, whoa, oh, okay, I got to stay here, right? And he started focusing mm-hmm. a little less on us. Me and Paige were there and focused a little bit more on, mm-hmm. his, on his bed and stuff, right? Yeah. So we did that. We had him hold that for, like I said, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that, which is generally the sweet spot for the amount of time it takes for the dog to kind of chillax a little bit, settle down into position, right? Mm-hmm. Had her put the muzzle on him. We talked a little bit about, all right, cool. So what we're going to do now is we're going to test him a little bit with this bed stay, and I'm going to do things that your guests generally would do, right? Mm. So I kind of walked in, and I looked at him, and I smiled at him, and I'm like, oh, hey, bud, you're doing a good (laughs) job holding your bed over there. And a lot of people would look at that as unfair, right? Here's why I think that step is important, right? Okay. One, people are going to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. When you have guests come over your house, your guests, even if you tell them ignore your dog, they're going to stare at your dog from across the room. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, oh, you're being so good over there right? They're going to say little things like that and do little things like that that are going to entice your dog to get off. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that one, the dog understands those aren't a cue to get off because we're the one that put you there. We've got to be the one that's ultimately going to release you out of position. Mm-hmm. And two, we've got to make sure that um, our dog's attention is not too on the guests where they lose focus of the thing that we're asking them to do. Yeah. Right. So we tested it with that, right? Once we confirmed he wasn't going to break that, we talked about the next step, which is we're going to release him off, and I want to put him in a position where he could just freely move around, right? Mm. So she put the muzzle on him. She released him off, and what did he do? He kind of went and, like, she, they had kind of, like, an open concept area. We were sitting in the living room. He kind of, like, went off into the kitchen area, right, mm. and just hung out there. And I let the owner kind of do this, and then I instructed her on why it was wrong. So... Her initial reaction when he did that was she tried to kind of force him back into the area. She's like, Mm. come on, you're free. You could come over. You could hang out. You could interact, right? To which I told her, I don't think that this dog thinks that he's not free right now. I think this dog is still a little bit overwhelmed by this situation and is choosing to make the correct choice Mm. of going off on his own, 
right? Mm-hmm. And hanging out and doing his thing, yeah. right? Deli does that shit all the time, right? Deli will, will if she gets a little tired or, or there's a lot going on or something like that, she'll go put herself in the other room or kind of separate herself from all of the commotion to help her like nervous system settle down a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I could tell that's what this dog was doing. So we just let him hang out. And after a couple minutes, he kind of started coming around a little bit and sniffing mm-hmm. and this and that. He did it organically. Right. Yeah. Which is a very important part. You don't want to force the dog into the situation. Because if you force the dog in the situation while they're trying to make the correct decision, mm-hmm. he starts thinking, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to give myself space when I'm stressed out, which is absolutely mm-hmm. the worst thing that you could possibly teach the dog. Mm-hmm. Right. You want them to realize when they are off leash and you have all this space this whole house everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. That if you get overwhelmed or stressed out, you could go elsewhere. You could do your thing, mm-hmm. right? So <clears throat> did that for a little bit, kind of started breaking the ice, sniffing around and stuff like that. And we still totally ignored him, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> From there, we got into how do we actually interact with this dog if we want to, which I've said this a million times, but this is the key with it. And we saw it in real time. And like I said, you guys will see it on the vlog, but I'll explain it here too. So I always tell everybody, if you want to interact with one of my dogs, that's fine. But this is where giving the dog an opportunity to give a little bit of consent is important, Mm. right? So what did I do? I was like, all right, I want to interact with him right now. I called him over to me, right? I said, hey, come here, buddy, right? What did he do? He ran right over, Mm -hmm. excited, tails wiggling. I'm scratching his butt. I'm patting him. He's hanging out. He's like sitting at my foot, right? Mm -hmm. This is only my second time meeting this dog, right? Um, we're hanging out. Things are great, right? I was like, this is awesome. I was like, if he wants to go away, I'm going to give him the ability to move away, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was like, but if he wants to sit here and get interaction the whole time, we're going to stack these wins of positive interactions with this dog, right? Mm-hmm. Interaction went great. A lot of the reason why it went great is because we went through all those steps I described so far. They went successfully. We gave him an opportunity to kind of decompress to the situation before we started the actual interaction with things. And then I gave him another break. I let him chaw for a minute, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and I told Paige, right? Paige is somebody totally new. She, you know, looks weird. She's got the camera in her hand, big thing and stuff like that, yeah. right? So a lot of dogs are a little bit more spooked of, uh, of her initially because of that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told Paige, I was like, all right, Paige, well, now you're going to try to do the exact same thing, right? I put her to work a little bit. <laughs> so, so, so she did the same thing. She called him over and he came over, but you could see, right? Mm-hmm. You could see in his face, he was apprehensive, Right. Mm-hmm. He came over and he's just like, I'm not sure. Right. And like he went all the way over to her, which is consent. Right. He gave the consent. She started interacting with him. And you could tell after a couple of pets, he just kind of drifted away. He went away from her. Mm-hmm. Right. So what did he do? He made the correct choice. He said, yeah. I'm unsure about this person. So I'm going to go away. Mm-hmm. Right. And that right there, I told her, I was like, that is the most important thing. And that is what we want to reinforce. And we reinforce mm-hmm. it by just leaving him alone, obviously, mm-hmm. because what he wants is space. So by leaving him alone, he gets reinforced yeah. by getting the space and getting away from the thing he's apprehensive mm-hmm. of. But I was like, that is so important because here's yeah. the thing, right? When that situation happens, a lot of owners, and, and she was thrilled when she saw it. She's like, oh, that's great. He made the correct choice, mm-hmm. right? Most owners look at it polar opposite, mm-hmm. Right. They create this picture in their head of what socialization should look like with their dog, right? Mm -hmm. And they think their dog should be just as excited to see every single person as he was to see me when I Mm -hmm. called him over to me, right? And they go, oh, no. Oh, no. He's he's, he's not acting the way that I want him to act. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, 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 no. Not to her, but to other people. I was like... He's acting exactly the way you want him to interact, yeah. to, to act, right? Which is mm-hmm. 
if you're uncomfortable and overwhelmed, go do something else. Mm-hmm. Dogs are going to get overwhelmed by things. Dogs yeah. are going to get uncomfortable by things. Yep. The problem does not lie in stress or anxiety or mm-hmm. fearfulness. The problem lies in how the dog acts when they're in that state of mind. Yeah. That is that is it. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what's wrong with this kind of force-free agenda and movement, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it's looking at behavioral issues from the lens of when dogs are scared of things, mm. we have to make them not scared of things. Now, yeah. there's a healthy dose of that that comes into play. I want him to not be so scared of people, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the problem is not that because that lens would say that the dog should never be scared of anything, which is not real life. Yeah. The dog should never get anxious of things. That's not real life. The dog should never get fearful of things. That's not real life, no. right? The, 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 the lens we need to be looking at things from is when my dog gets anxious, nervous, or fearful, do they make the correct choice still, mm. right? Which is exactly what we saw that dog do, which is exactly what owners need to be looking for so that when they see the dog make the correct choice, when they're nervous, that they understand how to step in and advocate for the dog so that the dog continuously has positive interactions and is reinforced for their correct decisions. Yeah. Right, because in that moment, the mistake ninety nine percent of people do is either one, they're petting the dog, the dog tries to slink away, and they try to stop the dog from getting away. Mm-hmm. Big no, no, don't do that. Thing number two is after the dog slinks away, they try to beg the dog to come back to them, which yeah. just puts a ton of pressure on them. Or even worse, thing number three is the dog slinks away from them because they're apprehensive, and then they go and pursue the pursue dog because yeah. they can't get past their own selfish desires <laughs> of that dog should like me. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So that was just so cool to see. And then we had just like this awesome conversation about it after, which is just like she she said, like, you know, I think Michelle and Bridget like did a podcast recently where they were talking about this idea of like, <clears throat> you know, we sometimes as an owner of a difficult dog, right? Or, or I hate even saying that. I hate even saying as the owner of a difficult dog, because really what it is, is as the owner of a... Let me let me lens this out here. As the owner of a dog that doesn't act to the norm that society has created, mm. I feel like is the better way of putting it. Yeah. Because this dog in question right now that we're talking about is not really a difficult dog. Yeah. Right? Like it wouldn't really be that hard of a dog to own if I owned him or, or <laughs> she doesn't really have massive issues with this dog at this point or anything. Yeah. He needed training to help her to be able to manage him, obviously. And before that, he might have been a little difficult. Yeah, for sure. But most dogs prior to training are pretty difficult, right? Yeah. So so she said, you know, the hardest thing about owning a dog like that, right, is being able to relinquish this picture you have in your head of what your dog should be like mm-hmm. and accepting your dog for who they are, right? And mm-hmm. it's funny. You could equate this to, like, kid shit, right? Like, and, and, and really, the most dysfunctional family relationships are the ones pertaining to, like, you've got the dad who for four generations has been fucking shoe makers. They've been cobblers, right? Okay, yeah. And the son is not interested in the shoe cobbling business. <laughs> but in yeah. your mind, you were going to have this son so he could take over your shoe cobbling. Is it shoe cobbling? I know it's a cobbler, but do you say shoe cobbling? I just think cobbler. <laughs> just say cobbler. Cobble shoes. Yeah. The son has no interest in cobbling <laughs> shoes, <laughs> right? 
right? Uh, and and you just that that was in your mind, and you just have such a hard time letting go of the fact that your son is an individual and is interested in different things than you're interested in, and mm-hmm. probably doesn't like certain things that you really like, and unless you could accept them for who they are, you are going to have a shit relationship with them long term, mm-hmm. right? It's the same. It really is kind of the same shit, yeah. right? Like every Disney Pixar movie. Come on. Isn't that kind of what it is? Yeah, you guys yeah. see it. <laughs> so, so it's just just interesting, right? Like, like I look at situations like that, and we ended it so early because we had such a positive experience. Like that was such a positive win of a situation, right? Mm-hmm. We had people come over. He doesn't really get to interact with people very often, and we had one person that he interacted with that it went phenomenally with. He really enjoyed it, which is a huge win, which was with me. Mm-hmm. And he had one person where he was curious and went to go interact and realized he wasn't ready for it, went somewhere else, and we were able to reinforce that excellent decision that he made of going and doing something else as opposed to reacting like he generally would in the past. Yeah. Two massive fucking wins. I was like, we're ending it on that. I was like, that is a great fucking note to end on. Yeah. Right? And um, and, and, and that's kind of, yeah, I mean, that's how that one went. Yeah. Pretty sweet. I mean, that, and that's one of those that if you just do that every time the confidence boost that dog's going to have oh my god in the next few months i mean he could get to a point where he doesn't even have to leave the room you mm-hmm. know because he knows that he has that option but he's not going to be resisted if he goes away you know yeah i mean literally 100 percent, right <clears throat> it's it's man it's like it's it's the the hardest part of dog training, you know. The hardest part of dog training is just getting people to accept their dogs as the individuals that they are. Yeah, you know, and and understanding it's you know it's the fine balance of holding them to a higher standard, right? Yeah. But still allowing them to be themselves. Mm-hmm. We got an interesting question on YouTube, right? That I kind of answered, but um, I want to let me pull it up here. Why don't you talk about something, Josh? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I was going to say that. I like cases like this mm-hmm. because there wasn't a lot that got changed. It was just these fine little details, you know, of how, things. yeah, it, it is. It was just like, you know, they were probably not doing that much wrong. And you were just said, well, let's just try these couple of different things. And yeah. And, and in their fairness, they actually weren't doing anything wrong because they were doing the correct thing to do when you don't know how to do something, which is just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. They weren't even trying to introduce them to other people. So, yeah. so there wasn't any problems that they would have, they would have had, obviously. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I love that. It, it's it's just so funny when you just change a couple of things in your routine and it can completely change the 100%. the dynamic of that dog. Yeah. What the hell is this? It's in there somewhere. Boy, got buried, did it? Yeah, we get a lot of YouTube comments these days. I know, I love it. Keep keep commenting, everybody. Yeah, keep please. <laughs> Hold on. He's almost there. Keep, keep talking about something, Josh. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That was uh. Whew. Here it is. I think I found. Oh, it. oh, he's got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Is a, a great question. Okay. All right. So, so this was a comment on the um, the podcast video I did with Anish from K uh, Nine Academy, which will be joining us on tomorrow's podcast. Let's go. Let's go. So they said, thank you for this excellent podcast. As always, I do have a question, though. 
it really got my gears turning when you were talking about accepting who a dog is. If they're not nuts about people, you could just put them away. If they don't like dogs, maybe don't push meeting other dogs on walks. But earlier in the podcast, you described a dog in daycare who put herself in the corner and would be snappy at dogs coming over and her progress when a pushy dog came into her space. So I've worked at a doggy daycare for a long time. And my first thought before hearing the end of that story is that it's a very familiar one where I've gone and said that this dog isn't fit for daycare and it's just not a part of who that dog is that this benefits them. If the client didn't leave doggy daycare entirely, we'd recommend shorter half days. So I suppose my question is, where is that line where we can push? What is the thought process here and where the dog in the corner who wasn't interested in other dogs wasn't let go from the daycare program but instead pushed a little? And can this translate to dog owners without trainer intervention? Right? So so my response to it was, this is a great question. I'll wrap on this a bit on this podcast episode, which is today. Accepting who a dog is doesn't mean never striving for better. It means understanding what their home base is. If they don't love other dogs, I'm not going to be upset if they never play with other dogs, but I would like to continue exposing them to them in a good way that will help them to not hate them. If my dog is a high energy, slightly anxious dog, I'm not going to expect them to be a couch potato, but I want them to be able to focus and control themselves when I need them to, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the thing, right? And and it's it's very situational. You'd have to get into every possible scenario of like dog issue to describe, you know, what side of things you should lean into, right? Because it's it's a balance, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you have like who the dog is, and you have um, improving their threshold or tolerance to those types of things, mm-hmm. right? You're you're never going to get a perfect balance of the dog is just completely past this type of problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, in the case of the dog they're referring to, I was I was using the example of a daycare dog that used to come to our Columbus facility, Piper. If you remember Piper, Piper B, Piper, yes, mm-hmm. no, not Piper, uh, Columbus facility. Oh, Columbus, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, wrong yeah. Piper, wrong Piper, yes. Um, and Piper, when she first started coming to daycare, hid herself in a corner, right? She would go put herself in a corner and she would snap at other dogs for coming in her space. And we would constantly just advocate for her, advocate for her, advocate for her, and just not let other dogs come up into her space, Mm -hmm. right? And I use the example of one day we had a dog that was a little bit pushier that we let kind of push her out of her shell, right? So the dog went up to her, she snapped at him like she generally would most other dogs. And the dog said, okay, cool, I'm going to come up to you again. And then she probably snapped again, and the dog went, okay, cool, I'm going to come up to you again. And mm-hmm. did that like three or four times until she learned a new thing. She tried something else, right? Which was she got up, and she like went somewhere else. And where she put herself just so happened to be like in the mix of like some dogs that were playing, right? And she got in that mix of dogs that were playing, and within a couple of minutes after that started engaging with one of the dogs and then playing with one of the other dogs. And that was like Mm -hmm. the first time she ever played with another dog at that daycare. Yeah. Right. And the, the idea behind it was what they were asking is, you know, well, she clearly didn't like being around the other dogs initially. Right. So why wouldn't we have just said, you know what, this isn't a good fit for you. And 
to answer the question, it would depend on the environment the dog is. Like we've talked in the past about like when we used to do like regular, regular daycare where it was like gazillions of dogs, like that environment is not conducive for a lot of dogs. But at our Columbus facility, we didn't do mass numbers for daycare. Mm. It was like five to 10 dogs or something like that. It was like small yeah. groups. It was in a really large space, like really? way bigger than what we have now, obviously. Mm. And, um, you know, so all the dogs were able to have their own room and get away. And like nobody was like overly like stressed out by anything and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So the reason for that is because we knew that she could improve with it, mm-hmm. right? Like we knew that there was more potential. Like I genuinely don't believe that dogs are are just completely antisocial creatures that will never learn to like like or tolerate more effectively being around other dogs. Right. Like there are some dogs that aren't the biggest players, obviously. Right. Or they're they're situational on the types of social situations they want to be in. Right. Mm -hmm. Meaning that they need to be able to have the ability to give themselves space or go somewhere else. Or in the case of the dog we were just talking about a minute ago, uh, be able to go off into the kitchen and hang out there by himself if he was too overwhelmed by everybody hanging out in the living room. Yeah. Right. Like, like there's definitely dogs like that, but when introduced properly, right. And introduced slowly enough and, 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 and intentionally understanding how to push them out of their shell and look at the behavioral issue they're exhibiting Mm -hmm. and try to figure out why they're exhibiting that. I think all dogs can make a ton of progress. Right. Um, and that's exactly what happened in this dog's case. Right. And, and the reason why it was so effective is sometimes dogs, that are like kind of shut down, hiding in a corner, snapping, stuff like that. In their mind, they don't think they could do anything else, which is what creates all of the stress in the first place with them, Mm. right? She was so stressed out because she probably felt like even though she was in this freaking like 3,500 square foot room, right, that she felt like in that corner, there's nowhere else for me to possibly go, right? Like Mm. I'm not allowed to interact or do anything in any other way, shape, or form. So when this dog pushed her buttons and she kind of snapped at them, pushed her buttons. She snapped at him repeatedly, repeatedly. She started realizing that the snapping at this dog isn't working and accomplishing to make them go away. And and you run the risk with some dogs where they'll intensify it, right? And they'll, they'll try something else, which in some cases can be actually going after the dog. This is where you get into knowing your dog, right? This dog mm-hmm. wasn't the dog that came in with like massive dog aggression issues where I had much of a fear of that, obviously. Yeah. Um, But sometimes what they could do, especially in the case of having a lot of room, is they could try something else of instead of reacting to make the other dog go away, they'll go off, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll go do something else, right? Which is exactly what, that's where you would reinforce, no different than we talked about Mm -hmm. with this dog, when he kind of evaded Paige, right? And went off on his own when he's overwhelmed and did the correct thing instead of reacting at her. Yeah. Get what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's the exact same thing that, um, that this dog wound up doing. And it was interesting because that must have clicked something in her mind that, whoa, I have all of these other options. It just automatically, like literally like a switch, just alleviated so much of the stress that she had, which caused her to start interacting with the other dogs, Mm. right? So you just have to know the dogs you're working with, and you got to just kind of like play around with it a little bit too, 
You know, that's something I'm telling people all the time is, is we're here to interpret these social interactions. We don't actually know. Like I can't literally talk to a dog and and ask them (laughs) why they're doing what they're doing. And in a lot of cases, you don't know why the dog is doing what they're doing. So you figure it out by trying different things. You figure out by seeing and observing the dog's behavior as things stress them out or make them scared or, or certain dogs interact with them Mm -hmm. in different ways. You gather intel and information on the dog to be able to best come up with a solution and a plan for how you're going to help them work past their issues. And that's exactly what we did with that dog, right? So so answering the question, like it's, it's you know, a daycare setting is a little funny because there are a lot of dogs that have a formal daycare is really not that great of a fit for them, you mm-hmm. know? But when it comes to other day-to-day things, like you just got to look at like, what do I have control over and what do I not have control over, right? Yeah. I have control over my guests interacting with my dogs, right? Mm -hmm. I could make sure, like we described with Clark, I could make sure that we have short, really positive interactions that are done in a way that's going to be conducive to the dog Mm -hmm. and have that always go successfully, which is going to make sure that I'm always moving the dog in a trajectory that's positive and improving Mm -hmm. their social skills over time, which is holding them to a higher standard, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe that dog won't ever love the vet because I don't have control over what's happening there, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe that dog doesn't want people invading their space while out on the walk because I don't have control over how those people are interacting with them from there etc 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 yeah true what do you think no i I agree sorry it looked like you had like more to say so i was like no no i i I completely i completely agree with you um i got you could talk obviously but i got one more thing that's kind of on that topic too okay cool no i I think it is weird. It's just a, it's just a little finicky, you know, like, like you said, with the daycare setting, like, you, it, it, I don't even know if that's like a, a great place for it, but in the case of like the one in Columbus, like, like you said, like five to 10 dogs in a big open room, I think gives you more room for experimenting. Whereas mm-hmm. I don't know if, did this person say what kind of, like if it was a really busy daycare that they worked with ah, or no. no clue. Yeah. So it maybe theirs was like a really crowded <clears throat> place that you can't really work through that Mm -hmm. i don't know it's possible yeah yeah and then um okay so this is gonna be the last kind of segue conversation here that's related to the last thing we talked about so i said a minute ago you know when i go out in public i can't really control how people are interacting with our dog Mm -hmm. right so this is going to be the next little thing so i got a comment another comment on youtube right that was on one of our videos talking about why we don't let people pet our dogs out in public okay This person said, this is one of those issues I've seen trainers from every method have different opinions on. As a trainer, if I have a dog that is very fearful of their environment in public, I want them to meet as many people to push them out of their comfort zone and come out of that fear. But I'm working with dogs that are overly excitable around strangers and can't focus. They won't be meeting anybody. But overall, I prefer a more neutral stance. If someone asks to pet my dog, I'll say, sure, then move on. I'm not going to go to crowded areas looking for people to pet my dog, and I'm not going to actively avoid it. So this is an interesting one, Mm -hmm. right? And I'll read my reply to this. I said, everyone has a different opinion on how things should be. I think the idea of socializing out in public is one of those things like dog parks that is a good idea in theory, but not so much in practice. Socialization on leash in public isn't always bad, but you're kind of at the mercy of how the person is going to try to interact with them. Additionally, there is something to say about when out and about, if the dog is scared of the people, we could turn the people into the environment by not having people interact with them. 
All in all, I'd rather eliminate the risk and just socialize the dog when the dog is off-leash to move freely as opposed to on-leash where they are trapped, right? So let me mm-hmm. elaborate on what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about dog parks all the time and socialization. And one of the things I started off talking about was, you know, teaching your dog to be a dog and letting them interact with dogs and letting them interact with people and helping them to kind of expand their world that way, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also this concept of, in order to do that, we have to make sure it's always done right. Yeah. And the best example we used was when Paige was interacting with Clark and Clark said he wasn't ready for it and gave himself space. The interaction had to stop at that in order to reinforce that correct decision. Yeah. So if I have a dog that's fearful of people, sure, in theory, having them meet people out in public, if done 100,000% successfully over time should accomplish the same goal of allowing our dog to develop a better association with people. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with random strangers out on the street, you don't have control over how they're doing it. And mm-hmm. I bet you anything that 99% of the population is not going to be able to pick up on the signals the dog is giving you when they're no longer wanting the interaction yeah. and tack on to that if the dog is on a leash in public, their ability to flee and give themselves space is so much less oh, yeah. than it would be if the dog is off leash that mm-hmm. your risk of that interaction going poorly is so much higher. Oh, yeah. So much higher, mm-hmm. right? So I would rather say if the dog is uncomfortable in the environment, make the environment have nothing to do with the dog and the dog will get past it 10 times better while you're in a separate session, in a more controlled area with people you know and trust working to build the dog's positive association with dogs or people in a social mm-hmm. setting, mm-hmm. right? Like we did with Autos, like I explained at the beginning of things, right? Yeah. In the environment, nothing impacts you. <clears throat> Don't even fucking worry about it. Doesn't matter. Not going to let any of this scary shit affect you. Outside of that, I'm going to make sure I build small positive wins in a social context over time to help balance everything out. Yep. Mic drop. <laughs> so, you know, just a little wrap on socialization stuff today, right? Getting into some of the, the nuances of, uh, you know, working with some of these types of dogs and helping people overcome these things. But I want you guys looking at that, right? If you're struggling with socialization issues and you're socializing your dog all the time, right? Maybe it's time to cut back on that a little bit. Maybe instead of doing it all the time, you do some sort of socialization once a week and you do it in a more controlled manner, right? If you're not being mindful of your dog's cues when they're getting a little too overwhelmed by socialization and we're not actively looking for their cutoff signals when they want to leave it and not actively advocating and reinforcing when the dog makes the correct decision by backing them up on those types of things... Maybe it's time you start being much more aware of every interaction your dog has with new people to make sure you're helping overcome those types of things, right? Yeah. And if you still don't have any control of your dog around those triggers, maybe don't even worry about the socialization until you do. Mm-hmm. True. What's the, <clears throat> what, what, is it, what do they always say, the, the definition of insanity? Is it yeah, doing, doing the, the same thing over and over with uh, the similar results or some yeah. shit like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that kind of funny how that works out with dogs? Actually, I've never made that correlation before. Yeah. But yeah, in a lot of cases, it's like people do just kind of do this. They try to introduce their dog in the same fucking way they've been doing for the last five years, 
that's been ending poorly every time still. So it's yeah. like, let's recalibrate here and take a note from a Clark's owner from the standpoint of if, if it's not working, if you're finding yourself in that insanity bubble of trying the same thing with the same results over and over again, or you just don't know how to do it and you're struggling with issues with your dog, just don't do it. Yeah. You're so much better off just not doing it than mm-hmm. trying to do it unsuccessfully over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're just making it worse every time for your dog, too. Well, you are. Yeah, you know? because just like you could reinforce the dog's correct decision of giving themselves space, you could reinforce the poor decision of mm-hmm. the dog learning reacting gets some space. Mm-hmm. And once you've started to develop that habit, it's a lot harder to then reverse it and teach the dog a new way. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That was a good one. So that's what we got for you guys today. I like it. Leave your comments, questions, uh, and topics in the comments below, and we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Yep. See you.